Good evening, wherever you are. Thank you very much for joining us on the Just Like the Movies podcast, where... Ugh. <laughs> Come on. Oh, I was going to do a joke, and you just stepped all over it. We were just doing some uh, stupid vocalizations to warm up, and John just had me die, and he just couldn't keep it off the program. <laughs> Tell everybody how you're doing, man. You seem like you're in great spirits. Yeah, I'm doing all right. I was great. thinking about... a a joke I was going to throw out on the podcast because as everybody knows, uh, you're not coming to this Halloween podcast uh, by us to get the trivia that everybody knows, Mm. like that the mask was a William Shatner, Captain Kirk mask, and they painted it and all that stuff. Everyone knows that. Everyone knows that. But for some reason, Mike, it popped into my head, William Shatner, Halloween, Hello, Schween. <laughs> and I was like, no, not many people are going to get that. So I just wanted to share it with you to kick things off and get a little giggle as we talk about uh, one of the more classic slasher films that inspired many that came thereafter and uh, was made with that old fashioned gusto of we don't really know what we're doing, but let's make a movie. And it turned out being one of the more popular slasher films of all time. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed reading about all that. Like it was, you know, this movie was made for three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, and it's a raised ranch. <laughs> you and your fucking raised ranch references. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, it was it was made. It was shot in three weeks. Like they very few well-known actors i mean they they basically spent 25 grand just to bring donald pleasance in for five days work um that was that was one of the things i found most like when i was watching the movie because well before i get into all that i wanted to see what your uh because you picked the movie and i wanted Mm -hmm. to know what your kind of experience was with it because i know that your parents were pretty vigilant about shielding you and your siblings from adult content when you were children. Mm. So I was kind of wondering what your experience with the Halloween film was. I've seen horror mo- like horror movies for some reason were the movies that fell under the radar and if I would go to, you know, sleepovers at friends' houses or a birthday party that had a sleepover involved, for some reason the horror movies were the ones that snuck through. And they a lot of them would scare me. I remember being like 10 and seeing like Hellraiser 3. And seeing like a combination of tits and like someone's body getting ripped into 5,000 pieces. And that's stuck in my brain. Like that scarred me in some weird way that I remember it. As opposed to like the tuna sandwich I had last Thursday. You know? <laughs> uh, so th- that stuff I was able to see earlier than maybe stuff my parents were more focused on. Like the action movies or sex stuff or whatever. Um, and then when I saw like Scream in 96, that made me want to dive deeper into slasher films. So I would get more on, in terms of like going to the video store and renting all the old stuff, you know, Friday the 13th, all, all those. So Halloween. And then I'm, when H2O came out, you know, that was the, that became a popular thing in 98. So Halloween is something that I have always been sort of familiar with. I, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the, a diehard fan of the franchise like a lot of people are. And Hot take, I only think there's one good Halloween movie, and I think this this one might be it. Um, though I did like the pseudo... Well, not pseudo, but the sequel they did 
to reboot it in a few years ago. I thought that was well done. Uh, but any of the other ones I didn't really like. And I believe I share that opinion with John Carpenter because I think he's been pretty vocal about the fact that he didn't really want to get involved anymore and he likes collecting the money on it. But uh, I think he truly sees his movie as the true story and not where they took it thereafter, including like all of a sudden Jamie Lee Curtis's character is his sister. And, you know, it really went down a weird path from there. The the Halloween franchise is one of those things that it's really like, you know, you, you, you have this movie that's made for a pittance by Hollywood standards. And then it, it was kind of like the Blair Witch Project of its time almost. Like it was made for $325,000, does $47 million, tremendous return. And then, you, you know, you have the producer involved with it, Mustafa Akkad, who then all of a sudden is like, yeah, we're going to make, we're going to make like a lot more of these. And then it becomes a franchise and... I don't know too much about it either because I'm not a huge fan of the Hall- of the Halloween franchise, but I know that like the movies just make less and less sense as it goes on and they like they drop characters and bring them back. and at one yeah. point they actually made the excuse like the most I think the most uh, maybe this is the uh, dramatic word, but you know that's what my syntax tends to be. My syntax and diction tends to be pretty dramatic is the the uh, the most infamous of the franchise was se- was Halloween three season of the Witch. Which actually, which was the only one that didn't have Michael Myers in it at all. <laughs> yeah, there, there was this attempt to turn Halloween into sort of like a Twilight Zone. Right. Was, yeah, they they wanted yeah. to turn it into an anthology, and yeah. that could be what they were trying to do, or that could just be like a bizarre explanation for why it's, they just decided to go in that direction for the third movie only. It's it's like for pro wrestling fans. I know you and I. You know, maybe not as much anymore, but we loved wrestling growing up and then through the 90s, Attitude Era at WWF and all that. I think a bunch of our listeners might get this type of reference. So you had like Hulk Hogan, who is like the Mike, Michael Myers, say, of wrestling, and he's carrying the belt to keep all the attention and bring in the money and all that stuff. And they try to bring, give it to somebody else. They try to give it to like the Ultimate Warrior, and he sucks. So they got to give it back to Hulk Hogan again because no one else can carry that weight. And same thing happened with Halloween. They do two movies with Michael Myers. Third one comes out, doesn't do well. They're like, well, we got to bring back the guy in the mask. That's who they wanted. Goofy and eventually... fucking idea, too. Like, really yeah. goofy. Like, even by horror yeah. movie standards. Like, I know horror movies, right. you have to give them a little bit of latitude because they're trying to generate fear sometimes in increasingly novel ways. But Halloween 3 was just just a goofy fucking film. Like, just... Yeah. All... Honestly... I'm not going to dump on all the Halloween movies because I know some people just dig them, but I think a lot of them are goofy, even with Michael Myers. Sure. Yeah. And, and like it was, as you said about the, you know, how they, they did that weird thing where they didn't really know what direction they wanted to go in. Cause I, I think this happens with a lot of movies where a movie is a, is a out of the blue hit with a, a magnitude nobody expected. Like this movie's definitely is in that category. Oh, it was the, at the time, I believe it was the highest, most profitable independent movie made at that time. Right, ever. right. That's why I made the little Blair Witch comparison, because it was kind of right. like the same thing to a certain yeah. extent, except for the whole like fake viral marketing thing, trying to pretend the movie... Like, it would be like if they tried to pretend that this movie actually happened. But yeah. That, <laughs> but like just in terms of the independent financing and the budget, the small budget compared to the big box office returns, that's where that whole parallel came from but uh right yeah like this movie was just watching it it's it it, like you see that it's low budget when you're when you're into it but 
it's kind of you kind of like balance that with how impressive it is that they were that they were able to do this for that amount of money and like shoot a yep. whole shoot a whole movie and not only that but have it be so influential going forward i agree i think a lot of what made it so popular uh and this isn't necessarily just my thought, but I watched, there was a 90 minute documentary on the making of this movie that I don't know if you caught it, but it had to have been from a handful of years ago because Carpenter looks like he's about 70 or so when he's being interviewed for it. And they really uh, unabashedly wanted to reach as many people as possible. So they looked for relatable things that they weren't used to seeing in these types of movies. And the one thing he borrowed from Hitchcock was taking these you know, scary ideas and bring them to Main Street USA as opposed to like in Dracula's castle or on, you know, Frankenstein's whatever. Oh. It's, it's like, let's bring something to your backyard because just like sort of like Jaws, like everybody's been either babysat or has been a babysitter. Uh, everyone knows the experience of Halloween. Uh, everyone has that haunted house in their neighborhood. And this is all verbatim words from the writer and John Carpenter. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but they were in other words saying like, we want to make a horror movie that feels close to home. So that put that puts the terror in uh, in you when you go to see it, as opposed to needing gore and wildly supernatural things like we're going to make it pretty raw. And, and like if you don't have your door locked, something as simple as that, this guy might be walking in next. That type of feeling. Yeah, I I, I kind of trailed off and then I, I remembered what I, the point I was trying to make. So I wanted to get your opinion on this. Like the whole Michael Myers thing, like where do you come out on that? Because is he a, like some weird guy that happens to just be insanely strong and wants to kill his family? Or is it some supernatural force? Like the point I was trying to make and I really cut myself off and I, I have to make a point to stop doing that. But is that I think this movie became so big and so successful that they really didn't know what direction they wanted to take it in because Carpenter left it so... Amb I, I, the point you made about him being kind of unsentimental about his work and just kind of like moving on to the next thing, like I don't think he really cared what Michael Myers was. Yeah, and, I agree. Yeah, and like so... But then when the movie, the, the franchise goes on and then they, they, they add this weird like underpinning thing about how he wants to wipe out his family and it, apparently it was expanded on in some novelization that's really hard to find you know how much we love those film novelizations here at just like the movies i didn't um, know they made a book out of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they did they did in this case and there was a bunch of backstory left on the cutting room floor i think i remember somewhere too that there was a deleted scene or something where they show his um his cell in the asylum and he has sisters scratched somewhere and that's supposed to be mm -hmm. a clue but i i don't really know if that's something that people made up after the fact or if it, well, it was genuinely something that was left out i i don't really know yeah <clears throat> i mean just based on like quotes from carpenter which you know sometimes filmmakers aren't very consistent with this type of thing because like i've always um, assumed uh, because I would do the same you know you hear something good about your work in terms of how people interpret it and you're like yeah yeah that's what I meant to do oh yeah yeah I, I meant to do that <laughs> so it's but every time he talks about Michael Myers he says he's a human but he is a force like he's like I wanted to make him this unstoppable force 
to make it feel like no matter what you did or where you went, he's going to just keep coming. That sort of thing. And he wanted to keep it ambiguous. So he didn't want to put a label on it that he's the devil or that it's this or that. He wanted people to really not know. He's like, and I, he's like, I, I didn't feel the need to explain who he, what he is and who he is. He is a human, but he's this unstoppable force. And that's, that's all they just went for. Yeah, and even in the credits, I mean, he's billed as the shape. So he's yeah. not even really built like the, the the actors who played him when you see his face, like when he's a kid and then at the end of the movie would take the mask on, but then they have the shape and that's Nick Castle, but it was also played by like five or six other people because that was part of the part of the, like the whole dynamism of a, such a small scale production was that sometimes the guy who was playing Michael Myers just wasn't on the set. So they would just put someone else in the mask and the jumpsuit and shoot it right. from a different different angle. And, and that's right. the kind of stuff that I, I don't know, man. Like, I, we, I know we don't talk about a lot of new movies here, like, except for Top Gun Maverick, which is a huge, huge exception. And that's like a giant blockbuster. But, I mean, you think about the kind of movie-making formula now, and I just can't imagine somebody scraping together, I don't know, like $1.5 million and making a movie like this that not only would be so well received but then be so influential in future generations it's like this it's like this weird thing where where the inflation we're all dealing with is affecting our entertainment as well i mean you see you see it i don't want to throw specific projects under the bus but i think people are going to know what i'm talking about where things that used to be really great are now becoming more expensive and much worse um yeah yeah i mean that's fair I I find it yeah I mean if we want to do um sort of like a comparison to like what would it be like today um I mean that movie Bar- Barbarian for example like came out of nowhere uh nobody really knew anything about it and it became successful due to word of mouth and buzz and people were like you got to go see this movie Barbarian just like I told you and you and I never talked about horror movies it's like dude I was like dude check out this movie because I think you might like it cuz it's just different and you did and you're like you know what it wasn't it actually wasn't that bad so i i think it would be something like that but and also you know what's going on with the studios and the strikes and all that stuff i I believe that there is going to be some sort of an independent thing i'm not saying like you know like small studios like uh a24 or whatever but i I believe that there is going to be some sort of revolution based on the what's going on with the movie theater industry and what's going on with the studios and all that kind of stuff. Like the bubbles bursting and it might get down back to ground level in some respects where some of these independent filmmakers catch on, uh, before they then in turn eventually sell their souls to the big studios. And then the cycle <laughs> repeats, but Carpenter wasn't really never that kind of guy. And we're not here to, you know, wax poetic on John Carpenter. Everyone sort of knows the deal by this point about what the man is and what he's done and what he does. Um, but you got to say he's the, He's sort of rock and roll in that way where he just uh, marches to the beat of his own drum. And that's how this movie came to be because he had demands coming off of the assault of uh, Precinct 13, I believe was the movie yes. that the writer of this also wrote. And he's like, I'll do it, but I need my name on top of the uh, above the film title. I need this. I need creative control. And he earned that. But 
if he didn't get that stuff, I think this would have been a different movie because I think it was his idea to make Michael Myers this like ominous thing. Whereas I think the original draft was just he was just this psycho dude who wanted to kill women, more of like more of like a Buffalo Bill type than what this ominous shape, what is he and why can't he be stopped type of thing. Yeah, the one of the things I thought was interesting and, and like we're kind of talking about the artistic purity our perceived artistic purity that like mm. we're, we're idealizing for cinema. But I mean, the reality of it is this movie got made because th they liked uh, the producer, Mustafa Akkad and this other guy whose name is escaping me right now. So bad on me, but it's like Irwin Yablanes or something. I can't remember, but they saw Assault on Precinct 13. They really liked it. They approached John Carpenter at a film festival and said that they wanted to make a, like a horror type movie, like a slasher type movie. And he said, they talked about it, and he said, I think I could do it for like 300 grand. And for some reason, that really excited them, because at the time, and I couldn't really verify this, but Mustafa Akkad said he was working on a movie with Lawrence Olivier, and it was costing him $300,000 a day. So he was just like really excited, and he said that his passion about the project made him want to do it. And then he wrote the script with Deborah Hill, who was his girlfriend at the time, and they were collaborating on projects, and they broke up right. the year after this came out. But um, that's you're right. That's what it was. So it was Urban Irwin Yablans who saw Assault on Precinct 13 and said, I want Car I want you to make this idea I have for this movie, which is about this guy going around just killing babysitters. That's mm -hmm. really he just had the idea of it. Uh, and then Carpenter like just took it over. Um, so that's my mistake. I thought he was involved with Assault on Pre Precinct 13. That's my bad. But yeah, when you said Irwin, I was like, that's the guy. Yeah. yeah. He sort and of came up with the idea of this. Yeah, that, that movie's tough, too. Assault on Precinct 13. Very, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's uh, they made a really bad remake of it in the early 2000s with uh, Ethan Hawke and Lawrence Fishburne. And it was like, mm. it, it would have been much better if it was some other movie. Because again, it's <laughs> like, people want to trade on these old properties to try to get some of those fans, like a built-in audience to come in. It's like, just make your own movie and call it something else. But, or like, but maybe they can't do that because it's so derivative of the original idea that it's like, well, we have to remake this. Because the the remake was so far from what the original one was. It was, you know, like, like when you when you talk about John Carpenter movies, like I'm not I I don't know as much about John Carpenter as I should, but I've seen like most of his like his I guess kind of hallmark projects. And you, you kind of know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get, like, he's going to do the music. He's, he's going to do, like, this this kind of idiosyncratic style. And it's going to be... You're going to you're gonna see from looking at the screen that it's low budget, but it never really looks, like, terrible. It's not like you're yeah. doing, like, Manos, The Hands of Fate. Like, when I was watching this, and I, I mentioned... Because we there's a lot of things that this podcast does well, and there are some things we do not so well. But one of the things we don't do is we don't fucking fake the funk. Like, I could have done this whole bullshit thing where I talked about, oh, oh, Halloween's such a great movie. I have all these childhood memories of it. It's like, I saw bits and pieces of it growing up, and I think I actually saw the Rob Zombie remake before I ever saw Halloween. Because I, I never watched, I never sat down to watch Halloween from front to back until last week when I did it for this, for this podcast. And wow. when I was watching it, it suffered from a few things. One was you could definitely tell that it was low budget. And 
on one hand, that's pretty admirable for what they produced, but on the other hand, like like some of the some of the decisions they made, which I guess were not only based in budgetary for for budgetary reasons, but like uh, Carpenter said that he was having a hard time. He was getting criticism for all the gore and assault on Precinct Thirteen. So when he when he made this movie, he said he made a conscious decision not to have as much gore in it, even though it's very violent and the death scenes are still pretty disturbing. So you, so like it it doesn't. It doesn't take away from that in any respect, but it, but like like some some of the stuff's a little cheesy, like when she pokes him in the eye with the with the coat hanger, and it doesn't even look like it hits him. Yeah, but you know stuff like that. But I mean, it's like so you have that, and then like you have the the signature music. Like, can you think about think about this? Like a director taking ten thousand dollars to not only direct your movie, but then he, he does the score and he writes he co writes it as well. Like. <laughs> That that has indie written all over it because if you ever see like a short film made by somebody or an indie movie and then you get to the credits, it's like the same person's name over and over again in every role, and it's like that's what's going. That's what was going on here. It's the actors got paid very little, uh, as you brought up. Donald Pleasance was brought in because they wanted someone with chops who can actually act, and uh, he um, and you know I don't know Donald Pleasance very well, but I know that. Carpenter wanted uh, Peter Cushing yeah. to do it, and Peter Cushing was like, like was flat out was like, that looks like garbage. I'm not doing it. Uh, so he turned that down quickly, and Christopher Lee also rejected it. So uh, horror icons uh, they were looking for, and uh, I guess Christopher Lee uh, uh, regretted the decision, obviously after the fact. Monday Morning Quarterback, but um, so then they get Donald Pleasance who. You know, I, I know of the other two names. I wouldn't know who Donald Pleasance is if it wasn't for Halloween. And well, that's... he was uh, Blofeld in the later Connery Bond films. He was also in The Great Escape. Yeah, I know, but and, and you're right about that. But talk about not faking the funk. Like, you know, there's a lot of actors who star in things and people know them for those things when they probably did better work in other things. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So... Uh, and I, that was a part of this too. You know, there's a, it, if you watch Halloween now in a vacuum without knowing its legacy, you'd be like, this is pretty fucking cheesy looking. There's a lot of hokiness here. Like you brought up about the coat hanger in the eye or the neck. Uh, when Michael tries to stab her, he completely whiffs and just gets a piece of her shirt. It's just, you know, there's a lot of things you're like, all right. Uh, when he smacks the window and it does that weird cracking and there's a lot of things that come off cheesy i mean right at the beginning if you want to be honest judith myers the way she's reacting to being stabbed is very bizarre and hokey <laughs> looking so but but carpenter said like he i'm not saying he was like tarantino before tarantino but he said he wanted to exploit the genre a bit and have fun with it and they said they were constantly having fun on set as scary of a movie as this was when it came out and the idea of it is still very scary too i'm sure but not as much as they go for with recent thrillers. But I guess my point is like they were having so much fun with this thing that that was the spirit of it. And uh, the terror I think that comes with this movie is the suspense and not like, you know, over the top jump scares with audible jump scares, which I I hate uh, or too much gore. Like you brought up, like, you know, a lot of movies rely on that stuff now where the, suspense of something happening is what this movie brings to the table including the music which you know can really grain on you after a while 
because they use it so often, but it does make you uneasy. Even when you're watching a slow, like dolly shot going like through the street, the music's like, dude, 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 mm. it's in your head, like stressing you out the whole time and creating these two different parallel experiences where you're taking in a visual slow thing, but that music's constantly in your head. Like I feel stressed out and I don't know why. And that's like Michael Myers is always there, even though you can't see him. Uh, so I, I, I like that aspect of it, which might be a product of what we talked about, about some of those older movies, like the lower budget lending itself to it being a better movie because they didn't have all the resources. Like if John Carpenter had $2 million at the time or whatever to make the movie, would it have been as, uh, worse because he would have maybe shown too much or done too, too much. So that's, it's a debate to be had. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's like it, the whole like path less travel because when you read about this movie, like I'm not going to get it. There's like a there's like dozens of these things like shit they did to save money. Like the, like part of the reason the movie's so dark is just because they didn't have money for lights. <laughs> like, one of the cars <laughs> they used was like a like a car that brought catering to the set. It's like, hey, can we just <laughs> use this for this scene? Um, but like, yeah, when you watch the movie, you, you, you kind of like when I was watching it, I didn't want to like come out and just be like, all negative about it because it's just that I was pretty underwhelmed by it simply because so many movies have cribbed from it over the years and the yeah. the effect of the the score apparently was one of the things that people found there was a there was a strange kind of psychological effect in this movie the score had where like one of the executives watched it and they said they hated it like they watched a rough cut of it and then once the music was added they said it was a totally different movie like, like, that's how important John Carpenter's music was. I know we talk about the music sometimes in movies, but in this case, it's it's really pivotal to the, the uh, like, kind of the experience. But on the other hand, if you're, you don't have a lot of experience, if you never saw the original movie and say you grew up like we did in, in like, the 80s, 90s, 2000s, and they just keep coming out with Halloween movies, and you're like, why do they fucking keep coming out with these? And everyone has the, th the theme in the trailer it kind of dilutes it as opposed to if you would like have, if you had seen that movie and you had like the memories of it before you'd ever been exposed to it so like i'm just trying to be you know not like sell out too much and be like oh this movie's a classic and blah like i had a i had a good time watching it but i like i had criticisms also and i think a lot of it had to do with stuff that wasn't necessarily the movie's fault it was just the fact that you know like the slasher genre barely existed before this movie now yeah this movie was influenced by psycho they borrowed a lot of the names from psycho and uh there was also a movie called black christmas that came out a few years before it that supposedly was an influence on it but if you look at all the movies that came after like friday the 13th and just that just a rash wow. of <laughs> various quality slasher movies especially in the 80s and then early, yeah. like 90s as well i mean this is this is kind of like the wellspring of all that Oh, 100%. I mean, my favorite slasher of all time that really got me into horror movies, Scream, as you know, you know, they use the name Loomis for what wound up being one of the killers. You know, mm. it's just they and there's a bunch of Halloween references throughout Scream. Even we talked about in the end scene where the actor Jamie Kennedy is yelling while watching Halloween, yelling at Jamie Lee Curtis on the TV to look out. He's right behind you. Meanwhile, the killer was right behind him. You know, that Halloween is people's like bible for slasher movies and yeah it's dated and and you know that's just how it is and there's nothing you could do about that but i think that's one thing that it sounds like you're struggling with is 
you don't want to give it all of its credit uh, because of how much credit it's been given. Is that am I getting no, that right? No, no, no. It, it has more to do with the fact that I, I, I wouldn't go that route. I would say it has more to do with the fact that if you if you don't see this movie first and you see you see a lot of modern, not even like late 80s, early 90s, mid 90s slashers. Then you have movies like Scream that go totally meta with it. And like I said, they they diluted the franchise so much over the years that I just remember every time I saw a trailer for a new Halloween movie, I would just roll my eyes. Because I was like, <laughs> God damn it. I mean, they're still doing this. I agree with that. It's like, they're still uh, doing I, this shit. Plus, yeah. I was not, a, like, I'm not a fan of the Rob Zombie filmmaking experience. And, Neither am I. And for for whatever reason, I watched his remake of Halloween, even though I'd never seen the original one. Like I'd seen bits and pieces, and I knew the the concept. And I just, like he just went like you were talking about the whole road road less travel thing. Like if John Carpenter had a bigger budget, would he have had more gore? Would he had more effects? Like that's what Rob Zombie did. Like everything was more over the top, louder, more graphic. Like I like one of the things I remember from the um. The, the Rob Zombie version was they had this really long scene where they showed Michael Myers in the institution and then he like there was this orderly that was like super nice to him that was played by Danny Trejo and then like he kills him in this really violent death scene to show like how bad he is and it's like th- like that I guess that's one of my like this isn't you know a Rob Zombie podcast never will be but it, like I just like his movies are always so like bleak and violent with like and nihilistic and there's just not a point to any of it yeah i i agree with that i i don't really like what he does either um and especially halloween because i think he really changed the whole idea of michael myers by making it i mean yeah the movie halloween starts with michael in 1963 as a six-year-old and we get that scene to set the table uh, but it's not an origin. Whereas I think 40 minutes or so of right. Rob Zombie's movie is this origin story of why he's the way he is. And it's because he had a shitty stepfather who beat him and he had a bad neglecting mother who was a stripper. And his, <laughs> sis- his sister was like treating his sisters treated him like shit. Yeah. And of course, and like, of course the stripper had to be played by his fucking wife because she has it, to be in all the movies in all the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so they made, they made Michael this empathetic thing where you're like, Oh, you know, he wouldn't have been this way if he was in a good home and stuff. And then he's, he grows up. He was like this, this this little chubby blonde kid and he gets beat up and then he kills a kid in the woods and stuff. And then he grows up to be Tyler Maine, former <laughs> pro wrestler who played Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. So this is our second uh, reference to Tyler Maine on our podcast because we obviously talked about him in X-Men. But so he's 6'7", 260 pounds. He's Rob Gronkowski basically throwing people around the house and stuff. Whereas in the first Halloween, he's like this regular sized dude, probably like 165 pounds, 5'10". Uh, and he was just born evil. So it's so that the Rob Zombie thing took it in a completely different direction. And I like the original Halloween more because I like the idea of some people are just bad people. Right. And you don't need to fucking explain everything. That's another theme we talk about in this podcast all the time is we don't always need the origin story. I don't necessarily need to know where this villain came from. I just need to know that they're evil. Yeah. And, and, I, I, and a lot I, in a lot of instances dumb. I, yes. 
is some of the most compelling villains are are the ones where they like you know I, it, it's always is it, is it like is it always going to come back to the dark knight it's like it does a lot but it was like the joker like in in that movie like he didn't have a real origin story because then you get into the whole banality of evil thing like you you brought up a really good point like expounding on even though this isn't some half-assed halloween remake podcast we're talking about the originals made in 1978 not that not that one that came like 29 or 30 years later whenever the fuck it came out but like that whole that whole thing about it's like well is that ever gonna be an excuse to murder people like there's it's like oh your stepdad was mean to you now you're killing all these people like fuck you right like yeah exactly it's like you know how many people's stepdads were mean to them and they just sucked it up and fucking moved on and probably got a job they hate they probably drink too much and they live in a fucking apartment that's like not very nice but at least it's a roof over their head and they're not fucking cutting people's heads off and like doing shit to them probably a lot probably probably many probably millions (laughs) probably where are their ticker tape parades Where are their segments on Dr. Phil? It's like, it's like meet Rudy Johnson. It's like, Rudy Johnson's dad was mean to him growing up. And you know what he did? He moved out of the house when he was 18 and got a job as a janitor at a local high school and just has been doing that ever since. He has a pension and everything. (laughs) (laughs) That's true, man. That's true. Whatever fucking celebrity shrink is like, did you ever think about just mutilating people and maybe making suits out of their skin because your dad was mean to you? And Rudy's like, no, I never, that thought never occurred to me. (laughs) Like, you know, let's say that's, that's so true though. Cause if you look at the other classic, uh, horror villains, like, you know, Freddy Krueger, he was like this pedophile and the parents burn him in his home or whatever. Whereas today they would have it where like somebody touched his wiener and then he went off and just decided <laughs> to kill people in their dreams. So, <laughs> right. So we like the, we don't need the empathy for the character Rob Zombie. We do not need that. We need that as little as we need any more. Hey, yes. <laughs> Well, from you. Yeah, and then you do, like that's the thing that like we'll get back to we'll get off this in a second, but like you bring yeah. up a great point that that's a real uh whiplash, like a like a just a like a total neck jarring turn of direction. It's like you waste all your time trying to create empathy for this character, then you put this prolonged scene in where he horribly murders somebody who actually made the mistake of being kind to them. It's like what are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, it's so it's so messed up. So as opposed but, to this movie where Michael Myers was just he didn't even really get a lot of direction on set. It was like, hey, just walk from this place to this place. Maybe tilt your head like a dog to look kind of weird. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And really, the direction was, yeah, you're just going to walk and you don't have a personality. You're just this being. And, and some people can call that just being simplistic and lazy, but it works for this movie. Because they didn't want Michael Myers to like be a thinker. They didn't want him to like try to plot and stuff. He was just like his main goal was he wanted to kill people. So whatever he did was based on making sure he was able to do that. That's essentially it. Like he breaks into the shop, steals a Halloween mask, two knives, and a rope. He didn't like it wasn't like MacGyver or Boondock Saints or Commando where it's like, no, I need this, I need this, I need this, and we gotta do this. He was just like, How do I kill these people with a knife? I want to wear this mask so that I could do it for longer without getting caught and maybe some rope so I could hang myself in my closet and jerk off after. 
I made up that third part, but you know. <laughs> oh, did you? I thought that was canon. <laughs> well, I, I, you got to figure if he was still around in a future remake, David Carradine would have played like Loomis or something. We could have tied it in that way. <laughs> so Batman costume or no Batman costume for when you're... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um, all right. So in terms of uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, her first movie... Uh, you you and I certainly fans of Jamie Lee Curtis. Uh, there's a, certainly a movie of uh, hers on this list that we'll get to at some point on our list, I should say. But her debut at 20 years old and what's so funny is um, in that documentary I watched and you may have read this like they went for her because of the nepotism like blatantly. They said, you know, we knew her mother from Psycho and, you know, her father, Tony Curtis and. You know, Janet Lee was like the scream queen, we, like that iconic scene, the shower scene, blah, blah, blah. And she still had to audition for it, even though they had her in mind. And the same thing, I believe, with PJ Souls, they wrote the character um, of Linda for her, too. And she also had to audition. But with Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, I mean, it's it's nepotism. There's no other way you can look look at it. But at the same time, you know, she did a great job in the role and she went on to uh, play the role thereafter. One thing I'll have to admit myself, uh, as much of a fan of hers I am, I wouldn't say like, oh, wow, she really knocked it out of the park or anything like that. I could see the bones of her being a good actor here. I don't think they were fully formed yet. Um, But at the same time, I have to admit, I mean, if the theme of this is going to be, like you said, us not uh, pretending we know things we don't, it wasn't until that long ago, maybe when those new set of remakes came out, where I understood that she wasn't Michael's sister in the original. Because in the second one, they play it up that way. So I assumed that that was always the case and it was to be revealed later. But it wasn't anything on the table for John Carpenter. It was something that they shifted when they started making sequels to make hmm. it this family soap opera thing. She was just one of the babysitters. Right. Okay. Yeah, I don't... And her old man, her old man happened to be the realtor of the Myers house. That's why she had the key for the house and all that shit. So I didn't know if you were aware of that because it was always this big thing. And every time they brought back the sequels, it would be like the reason was he was trying to kill his sister to finish the job. And it's like when I found out at age 36 that that was never the case, I was like, holy shit. So you can really just watch this movie, the first Halloween on its own, ignore everything else that happened and be okay with it. Because I think the idea of him disappearing at the end of the movie is that whole theme of he's just evil can't always be killed in the reality of life and that stuff hits home with people and i i don't need i don't know that um they had any intention of making sequels when they made this movie so it's it was ripe ripe for uh the taking but it wasn't anything that was set up so that they made uh more and obviously if he wanted to you talked about the money it made it's total box office is $70 million uh, on all runs for that low of a budget. Like Carpenter could have asked for anything from any studio and they would have given it to him to make a sequel. And he just didn't seem to have interest in that. I, I can't imagine. That's kind of crazy. Like if you, you, you just completely not like you make some movie and it's just, it's this wild hit and it's just, and then you're just like, eh, no, like he was yeah. involved in the movies, in the sequels, but like very, hands off like i think he had like a producer role but i don't really know how much he probably had. just for coin 
Probably just to make money. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like that's why Hollywood's such a weird business. Like if you're not in it, there's like a lot you don't understand. Like even as many movies as you watch or things you try to read, it's like it's like, whoa, he was a producer on it. It's like, yeah, but what did he do? Like he just exactly. he saw all the bullshit they were doing, like, yeah, this is good. Or like or like the fourth movie, we're like, yeah, we're not even gonna have uh no, let's let's not even go that far. The third movie, it's like, yeah, we're not even gonna have Michael Myers in this one. It's like, yeah, great. The mass kill people. That's fucking fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring back the coat. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like um in James Hill and Bob Strike Back with like Goodwill Hunting Two hunting season and <laughs> Ben's like uh action Gus and he's like god damn it Ben I'm busy as he's counting his money <laughs> fucking perfect um so and we're throwing out some deep cuts there you're today, a real artist you, Gus <laughs> yeah you're a real artist Gus <laughs> but if you listen to our podcast you probably get a bunch of these so we'll just hope that's the case um if not go watch uh the Kevin Smith movies they're funny um all right, so Jamie Lee Curtis, your thoughts on her in this movie, and uh, overall, you're a fan, right, of the Curtis, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. How could yeah. he not be, especially in this era? But yeah, you're 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 totally right. They they did take advantage of that connection to Psycho, which was an inspiration for this, and they thought it was a real boon getting her, even though I think the first choice to play Lori was this woman named Anne Lockhart, who was the daughter of the woman from Lassie, and the wow. Yeah, and she was on Battlestar Galactica. She was on there for like a year. I don't know. I, you know I didn't like fucked get... up, dude. What you said, Lockhart. I thought of June Lockhart. So I don't know how I remember that name, but that was the name of the actress from Lassie. That's yeah, weird, it's, it's just some random serendipitous moment, I guess. Yeah. Um. All right. That was the, that was the only piece. Like, like we we talked about all the casting drama because it was such a like they just went out and got people like they wanted. They wanted, like you said, but they wanted somebody like a classic British, like cla- like an actor to bring some class, kind of elder statesman thing. And the first, like you said, the first two choices were Grand Moff Tarkin and you know Christopher Lee. But yeah, they they weren't yeah. interested. I guess Peter Cushing. What I read was that Peter Cushing kind of let the Star Wars thing go to his head a little bit. So like anytime he was in something, like he wanted top billing. That's what he was telling his agent. So they wouldn't uh, let him do it, even though his career was like kind of on life support before Star Wars came along. And it's not like yeah. he was a huge part of that movie. Right. But you yeah, talk absolutely. about Star Wars enough. So let's not do that I right do. now. Uh, I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I just thought that was interesting reading that, how he that was his reason for not being in the movie was because he just wanted... He probably didn't want the money either. He probably wanted more money and he wanted top billing, even though he only... Like, if you think about it, like, Sam, the, the Dr. Loomis character is pretty important because it's it's kind of like our tie to Michael Myers, even though as it, it's a little frustrating, but at the same time, I think it's it's a better way to go. It's like, how is Dr. Loomis such an expert on Michael Myers if Michael Myers never talks? It's just from observing him. Like, yeah, that that's what it's felt like. Because um, he said, I forget what the line was, but he's like, he had this. It was almost, It reminded me a lot of the um, from Jaws. The Quint, yeah, the yeah. Quint monologue. Yeah, he talked about black how he had, black, he had the blackest eyes, the devil's yeah. eyes, and right. A, apparently, right. that was based on John Carpenter's real experience. I mean, I, I should have read a little bit more. Apparently, John Carpenter's had kind of a 
he probably had a really interesting life because he was a he was a psychology student at one point, and that's was the inspiration for that. He was in a he was in an institution. He saw this this schizophrenic kid, and he said he had this like blank stare on his face that looked like pure evil. Yeah, I I yeah I so he in this document. I bet a lot of the trivia bits come from this documentary because I he talked about that how Michael Myers' inspiration <clears throat> was that kid that you just mentioned which he called the evil schizo stare. And he said it like chilled him to his like core. And, and also the movie Westworld. I know there's a popular HBO show version of it. That's uh, I think recently canceled, but there's this movie called Westworld about this idea of the, you know, cyber uh, like robots living in this, uh, you know, you get to insert yourself into the old West and, these robots have these blank stares and these these like lifeless faces and they were killing machines. So he's like, between that movie, which horrified me and um, that kid that he saw, he's like, that's, that's what I saw in my head as Michael Myers. And I guess it's just, which the, the more I say that and think about it and the more we talk about this, it makes it that much more sense that they didn't try to explain why he killed his sister. It's like, some things are just done by people and people either they'll snap or they were just born with bad wiring. You don't need to give a reason for everything bad that happens. I like them already. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. Cause like what's a six year old like gonna be that bent out of shape about that. His sister was like supposed to be watching him. Instead. She was just like getting just bonking her, her boyfriend and, just hanging out topless, brushing her hair. And you're just like, yeah. you don't know how to feel about it. So you just like take a knife, go nuts. Uh, yeah. It's, it's uh, that, and that's part of the, the scariness of it is that it, you know, when the kid walks out of the house and he takes his mask off, it's just this little innocent toe headed kid, you know? And then at the end of the movie, I guess the same type of deal, you know, this, <laughs> she rips off the mask and you're expecting to see like worms come out or whatever, like based on how modern horror movies teach us with like Jason Voorhees looking like, you know, 12 miles of bad road, but it's this like normal looking face. Granted his eyes a little messed up now, but he's got like relatively nice head of hair. And he, yeah, know, it's, it's, like just, a... it's just Joni from happy days, brother. That's, that's <laughs> that who that actor was. Yeah. It was, was it really? Yeah. His name's Tony oh, Moran. Funny. And, um, <laughs> Apparently, like I mentioned that this movie had a strange sight. Like, the, the movies in the 70s, like the horror classics, like this, The Exorcist, they had, like, a, a pretty profound psychological effect on people. Like, they said during test screenings that when the, when the mask came off, that the people at the test screening said that the, the, the face was disfigured, it was scary, and it was hard to look at. And then you watch it, and it's not, it's, it's, a, it's like you said, it's a normal face with a, with a minor cosmetic injury. Mm -hmm. That should have been a lot worse, but, you know, b b budget and stuff like that and whatever. But it just goes to show that, like, sometimes if you if you create the right atmosphere, like, people start to, their brains start to fill in the blanks on their own in ways that you couldn't even have planned for. Because... What's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, go, no, 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 go ahead, buddy. I was just going to finish that, the, like, the reason they picked that actor was because they said he had an angelic face as opposed <laughs> to... Um, the the more the 
the guy who did the majority of the work as Michael Myers in killer form, The Shape, was that Nick actor, Castle. Nick Castle. I guess he was a little more uh, real world looking, a little more, a little, little haggard. And he said he yeah. was disappointed they didn't use his face, but th- that they wanted that contrast. Yeah, and that that makes sense too because that's not far stretched from reality. Like when, because when I when you say that to me, it makes me think of like Ted Bundy, who was like this very charismatic guy uh, can put on this personality, but also had, you know, he's a good looking guy. Like he, you don't, when people try to cook up what they think a, a, a soulless, heartless serial killer looks like, it's probably not, you know, Ken from Barbie. It's probably, <laughs> it's, it's probably someone gnarly looking, missing teeth, googly eyed, fucked up face scars. So and it makes it all the more scary that, you know, you can't you can't trust and rate people based on their outward appearance and their outward personality. Sometimes, um, in this case, uh, outward personality, because Michael having to wear the mask ha- makes it uh, just as scary because you don't know what's underneath there. Um, because if it was that twenty-one-year-old angelic face you're talking about, yeah, it still would have been scary, but it would have been harder for the audience to accept it based on how this story was told. So I, I like the idea that when he takes the mask off, it's not this whole big thing. Um, I find it interesting that you're saying that test audiences were like thrown by it. Um, But I wonder if that's just sort of like the Scooby-Doo thing where it's like, let's see who it was this whole time. And so it's like, everyone's waiting for always a big reveal or something at the end. Um, And I wonder even watching the movie, if people thought like, it's going to end up being Dr. Loomis or somebody that we know. It's 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 the sheriff the Holy whole time. Fuck, that, the Dr. Loomis would have been the stupidest plot twist <laughs> of all time. Especially. Yeah, or or the pervy sheriff who, for whatever reason, made it a point to bump into people, even though he saw them right in front of him throughout the movie. Yeah, they did. I, don't, I didn't see anything about that, but now that you mention it, it was interesting how they had the sheriff. The sheriff just seemed really off-putting. Like, I yeah. don't... And always, always there. Like he was almost like watching the kids, and they I kind of did that in Scream too, right? It was kind of like a, kind of like a tribute kind, to this movie. Yeah, yeah, kind of like they wanted you to think that oh, that it must be Dewey or it must be yeah. The, well, you know, yeah, they had the sheriff hanging around, and then he had the boots, and then yeah, and yeah. Then they, no, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point, dude. And the so the sheriff is you know Annie's dad so she's she's going to be you know if there is things with that there are to be worried about you could see that the sheriff will want to make sure he's near her to protect her or whatever and they have that scene where they go by the shop and he explains what's going on and he's like all right you behave now you know blah 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 but like that scene where like Lori thinks she sees Michael and she's walking on the sidewalk and all of a sudden the sheriff just like, it's like a jump scare sort of. So it's made for the audience. But at the same time, if you look at it from just what they're supposed to be doing, which is telling us a story, he just purposely walks into her, <laughs> physically walks into her body. And he's like, oh, excuse me there, Lori. It's like, she in any real situation, she turns around like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> like, there's, we think there might be a killer out here. You're the sheriff. I'm I'm 18 years old and you touch your crotch against my ass and say, "Oh, excuse me there. You fucking creep." Oh man, I didn't even get any of that. 
And then he does it later to like Dr. Loomis too. He's like, <laughs> oh, excuse me, Dr. Loomis. He's like, nobody's off limits. I fuck everybody from behind. The sheriff was just a frateur. That was it. That was his gimmick. He just like rub it up <laughs> against people. That was his kink. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. It wasn't he even about like that. high school no. JB Lee Curtis. It's just it could have been anybody. Anybody. And and the thing about him is he doesn't even finish the job later at home. He tortures himself. And it's like anytime he goes to reach for it, he like lights he lights uh, a fire under his hand to burn himself. What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> We're doing like some hybrid. You took this frateur angle and then you added like some Da Vinci Code slash taxi driver shit to the end of it. <laughs> this masochistic component. Now he's like, yeah, that would want it- that would be a backstory. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, you want to make a real sequel to Halloween? Let's let's put a let's turn our focus onto this creep for a little bit. Let's see what he's up to. Man, you really, really went after the sheriff on this one. I didn't. I didn't pick up on any of that. Yeah, fuck him. <laughs> um, doing such a great job cl- cleaning up this small town. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, how about the rest of the cast, though? PJ Souls, who I know from Stripes, which was after this. Uh, but I know she was also... Uh, was she in Assault on Precinct 13, too? Is that where they grabbed her from? Uh, she was in Carrie. I think they... Carrie, that's it. Yeah, they, yeah. I think yeah. Um, the actress who played Annie... I think in this movie, what was she was? I think she was billed as Nancy Loomis, but she changed her name a couple times. Probably had a couple failed marriages under her belt. I think she was in uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I don't know. I saw that movie. Like I don't rem- I saw that movie once, and it was back when Netflix was just sending shit in the mail. Like that's how I watched a lot of really obscure movies because you could get almost anything from them. And- oh yes. And I was on this, like, nihilistic 70s cinema kick. So I got, I watched that. I remember, I think I got that Vanishing Point and Charlie Varick in the same uh, (laughs) three-disc shipment. You're right on the money, though. About what? About her. She was in Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, I I probably read that somewhere. Because I don't remember a ton about that movie, except I just remembered how much I hated the remake compared to the original. Yeah. I haven't seen either. I mean, I'll go back and watch the original after doing this podcast. But um, her movie career really fizzled out. She did more John Carpenter stuff. She did uh, The Fog in 1980. Uh, She did a cameo in Halloween 2, which wasn't Carpenter. But then she ended her movie career with Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, playing a different character. And then that just ended her career. That was it. Yeah. That was the end of that. Yeah. So, uh, but it, it had those, uh, you know, classic seventies elements and you could really feel how Friday the 13th really ripped this movie completely off where it's just like, you know, the kids having sex and then they get killed. And it's like, they talk about that in screen. They're like, don't have sex. Don't do drugs. Don't drink and stuff. And her two friends are the ones getting in trouble. I'm talking about Lori now, Jamie Lee Curtis, when Jamie Lee Curtis apparently said like, I'm more like that, those two characters than the girls playing them. She's like, I wanted to, you know, be the one smoking the joint and like having sex and stuff. And I have to play this straight buttoned up to the neck character. So I think that that was a funny aspect of it because apparently Jamie Lee Curtis was more of the wild child out of the, yeah, out of the group. The, yeah, the, she was a cheerleader. And PJ Souls, I guess, was more of like an introverted homebody type. And I got, I think she was dating Dennis Quaid pretty seriously at the time. They tried to get him to be in this movie, but I don't know what he was doing at the time, but he said he couldn't be in it. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I could be wrong. I think his son was in the reboot in 2018. I could be making that up, though. Wait, were, were there two? Okay, so there was the Rob Zombie two movies. Then they did another reboot. Uh, yes. Oh, my fucking God, In 2018. God, uh, and no, it wasn't his kid. It was someone else's kid. Dennis Quaid's son is in The Boys. Yeah, he's in head. The Boys. The Boys. Um, yeah, so they did a 2018, not reboot. I'm sorry. What they did in 2018 was they said, this is the true sequel to the first Halloween. They did that angle. So they had it take place 40 years later and Michael for the first time breaks out. Uh, uh, he gets caught after the first one, after he disappeared, he breaks out 40 years later and goes after these people, but Lori's not his sister, but still it's Jamie Lee Curtis. All the other movies that happened before that are in a different, you know, timeline or multiverse or whatever. And they, I really liked the 2018 one cause it, it really felt like the original. Um, but then they went off the rails with the two others they did after that and they ruined it again. So it's just like. I don't know what they're and they're they're, they're going to reboot it like Halloween. Talk about evil never dying. This franchise will never die, ever. <laughs> I guess there as long as that whatever built-in audience keeps showing up for them, like and they keep the budgets low enough. I guess guess that's the way it's going to be. I mean, I I heard I, I I heard some insane thing like they that um they just they just redid uh, an Exorcist movie, and. Somebody paid four hundred million dollars for those oh. I, for that IP, and it's like that's not worth that. It's, it's that, that's crazy. crazy to me. It's like that's before you do anything. So it's you you tack four hundred million onto you're gonna make. I think it was a three movie deal. So then you got to make three movies. Call it seven hundred. Like even though that's probably low, but let's just say they they do a hundred million a piece. You got to make 1.4 billion on those three movies to pay that investment off. That like that's not going to happen, especially yeah, with the the true. shit I've been reading and seeing about this new Exorcist movie. People hate it. Like Did it come out? I think it's out. Yeah. And it bombed. I don't know if it's like if it's official that it bombed, but just the stuff I've been reading about it and what I've heard, I don't like it. Like it's. Oh yeah, things aren't looking good for that movie. <laughs> The, and it's ironically called The Exorcist Believer. You want to talk about like counting your chickens before they're hatched. Like, oh yeah, we'll do this movie, then we'll do two after it. It's going to be fu- It's going to be beautiful. It's like, no. Who no. gives a fuck about The Exorcist franchise? I mean, the first movie was really... It's like this movie. It's, it, was a, it was a very impactful movie for the, for the horror genre, especially in the 70s. Like, it had a, it had a lot of... A, a, strong effect on a lot of people especially like like people i know this is stupid but like like my dad was terrified of that movie because it like it he went to catholic school for 12 years then this fucking movie comes out and he watches it on a date with my mom and apparently like they came home and her niece was like one at the time and she came downstairs and just peed on the floor and he like lost his mind like that's the effect this movie had on people. It was like they, they it was like they, they would just see like things that might happen with having a little kid around. It would they'd fucking lose their mind. <laughs> Jeez, man. Yeah, it's like the, uh, dads everywhere were like hoping that The Exorcist had the kids like mow the lawn and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not like spider walking down the down the stairs or whatever. <laughs> Linda Blair just takes out the garbage. It's like all right, awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, there's the, a parallel funny, there too. Like, The Exorcist is a franchise, but like the first movie is incredibly well regarded, and then the ones after it are just not. Like, they're. they're how, how about this shit that I just realized, thanks to some fine Googling, is the guy who did the directing of the recent reboot Halloween series also did this new Exorcist movie. So his name is David Gordon Green. And he works with Danny McBride. Yeah, he's the dude the from Eastbound and Down. Like, D- Danny McBride <laughs> is, yeah. Yeah, but Danny, so, I think Danny Gordon Green is heavily involved in that, too. He's in, oh, involved that, in that and the Righteous Gemstones. Then that checks out. So he, they're working in tandem to reboot these you know, older franchises. And I don't necessarily mean reboot like we're starting the story over, but it's like uh, pseudo-sequels picking up and like, like eliminating things that came prior. Uh, you know what I what I wish they did with uh, Jurassic Park, but uh, among other things, uh, you know anything Terminator after Terminator Two. What I'm realizing is about this podcast is that Halloween is such an important movie, or well, it is an important movie for the reasons we stated about what it did for uh, really creating this mega sub franchise of the horror genre, the slasher genre, a big popular thing for teenagers. Uh, but also, it just has legs and it has a lot of strength behind it. And they could, like you said, always keep rebooting this thing because the 2018 movie, which they also confusingly called just Halloween, like this classic one, made $250 million on a $10 million budget. And it's just like, they're going to just keep doing it. You're right, Mike. So, But the question is, why? Money aside, why... What's going to drive me to go keep seeing these things when they don't live up to the original, as hokey as the original might be? And I can't really answer that. Um, so, and they always keep, seem to keep fucking it up. Like horror movies, more than anything, they will not. They have no shame in continuously making sequels once a studio buys the rights to the brand of something. Like they're up to their eleventh Saw movie, I think, uh, because the first one was good. It's like it's always the first one's always good and it catches fire and people are like that movie I've never seen a horror movie like that and a lot of times you're like waiting for the other shoe to drop and you're like they're gonna figure out a way to make another even though there's no way they can do it based on how this movie ended and they do it and they keep doing it and horror movie, like Nightmare on Elm Street they made nine of those Friday the 13th they rebooted that they just they're just gonna keep doing it you've really gotten into a huge aspect of why I'm not a horror movie fan is because th- th- like they ju- they'll take anything, they'll take any established lore and just defile it and just do completely illogical things to keep the money train rolling. And the Saw franchise is a great example because I mean, if you if it's the same pro- if the same core group of producers in the same studios and like you like for some reason I'm just gonna throw some numbers out there. I don't know what they are, but let's say like you make Saw for three million dollars, and for some reason it, it makes like two hundred million. It, you're just playing with house money after that. Yeah, like there's no reason not to keep making more movies because like even if you double the budget on the next one and it does half as well, that's all found money after that. You're it's not like you're you have to go out and secure financing or risk new capital. It's like it, you've already brought the money in. It's it's funded. It, it's great done. point. Yeah, you make a great point. It it's almost mirrors um like the unstoppableness of Michael Michael Myers as a character is 
the money machine of horror movies because they're always pretty low budget. And if they catch on where teenagers hear like, oh my God, you got to go see this movie. It's, it's insane. Just like, I kind of like how Joker took off the Top Phillips one because everyone was like, ban this movie. And then immediately every person with a penis was like, I got to go see this movie. <laughs> And the people who hate this stuff, the Tipper Gores of the world, shoot themselves in the in the foot yeah, because it's, they. It's just the Streisand effect in real life. Like what's that? Oh, it's 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 like when you try not to draw attention to something because it's bad, and then that that piques people's interest, and they. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's what happens with these movies. But I, I'll say this: I still really enjoy every time I watch Halloween. I watch it at least once every October. Um, yeah. Tis the season. Type you get of like thing. a you get like a six pack, a Angry Orchard, and you sit on the couch with the with the misses and just enjoy yourself. You know what cider does to me, Michael? How <laughs> dare you? <laughs> Besides, if you were going to uh, drink cider, you would you wouldn't buy that shit from Massachusetts. I sit I sit on my couch watching Halloween while drinking my pumpkin spice latte. <laughs> oh no. No, don't no, even do it no. to me right now. <clears throat> no, I don't do that. I don't really like pumpkin, but well, the, well, the uh, thing I is, guess my pump, point... it, pumpkin spice doesn't have pumpkin in it. It's just the spices that make pumpkin pie taste like pumpkin pie. Pumpkin's pretty yes. flavorless. You just add a fuckload of nutmeg and allspice and whatever, and cinnamon, and that's pumpkin spice. They Say make pu- they make pumpkin spice frosties now. Wendy's does. They... I tried one the other day. Could we get a review? Little one, not bad. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not a pump. I don't like the pumpkin flavor, but it's not bad. <clears throat> it was by mistake. It was by mistake. I. Uh, Why are you so ashamed it. to admit that you just like pumpkin spice? I don't. It sounds would, like you do. I would. I would never lie to you ever, <laughs> ever. Um, I probably have. Oh, who am I? Who am I kidding? I probably lied to you a couple times, but. Uh, I would tell you if I wanted to order it, and I didn't. They just had the they gave us the wrong deal. So maybe you just you know. don't realize how much you like pumpkin spice, and you just don't want to admit it because it's just such a, it's such a like <laughs> it's just such a like a, I guess basic thing now. Like it's just how about how about I pumpkin spice your fucking face if you tell me I like means. pumpkin. Spice. I don't know. Either. You're not gonna ruin boot season for me. That's all I know. <laughs> how about this? How about, uh, oh, you mean how all the girls dress like Han Solo, that thing? Yes, that thing. Yes. Um, how about Michael Myers doing The Undertaker before The Undertaker? Yeah. Could we talk about that? No, we didn't, but it's pretty. It's not really that much of a reach to... Because wrestling, I mean, they steal from movies and TV shows all the time. Like, I remember back during the peak of the Monday Night Wars... I remember Do- Diamond Dallas Page was doing a a, a, in, a a promo one time, and he just ripped an entire set of lines from fucking Con Air. And Con Air had just come <laughs> out like two months before that. He did the whole like he was bad mouthing somebody. I think it was Scott Hall, and he said he he was said he's like he's somewhere between a cockroach and the white stuff that gets on the corner of your mouth when you get really thirsty. It's like, and I was like, I'm like 15. I'm like, that's from Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> well didn't he also have a ripoff of teen spirit as his theme music too yes yeah yes so, i mean look at the, the sting with the crow i mean some of them are very egregiously ripped off yeah. um 
but yeah, the the, the whole sitting up uh, like the like the Undertaker uh, was done twelve years before the Undertaker arrived in WWF, and the, uh, maybe the Undertaker uh, was inspired by Michael Myers because he's that, that an unstoppable thing too. That yeah. has to be it. Yeah, and he winds up becoming one of the greatest characters in wrestling history. So there you go, man. Totally loved it until he did the whole like American badass gimmick. And people are you like, loved, it's you like, loved the... that Kid Rock song. What? You loved that Kid Rock song. I don't even know why you'd say that. Like, I mean, that's that's like that's I mean, way worse than me saying you like pumpkin spice. And you want to fight you me like, that. I think you like Kid Rock's American Badass, which Metallica used the riff from that in their song Sad But True. <laughs> More than I like pumpkin spice. Floppes. This is fucked up. I don't even know what you're trying to do right now. I feel like you and I are trying to out troll each other. This is right like now. no. This is a diagram of how you like. I, I was just making an observation. You made it. That was like your second reference to pumpkin spice, and I was like, I think you like pumpkin spice more than you're letting on, and you took it super personally. <laughs> now you're saying I like Kid Rock. I think that's a that's a, a very unnecessary escalation. <laughs> Sorry. No, 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 no. It's funny because and then people are probably listening to this and they're like, you guys are fucking talking about wrestling and now you're like, you're you're in some weird like psychological tete-a-tete over fucking pumpkin spice. Like, just stop it already. All right, I'll stop it and I'll I'll go I'll go back to some of my favorite parts of the Shemaine movie is that. right around the corner. Shemaine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. One of my favorite lines in the movie, um, just so sexy, incredibly sexy, was PJ Souls just finishes a big time fuck session with her boyfriend. Yeah, he probably went a whole eight pumps. <laughs> yeah, for the last time. <laughs> uh, but had he slipped past the goalie, worry not, there is a phone cord nearby. Uh, so they finish banging. She fires up a cig and she goes, go get me a beer. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was the coolest, like this is the coolest chick on the planet. She bangs the crap out of the dude. She tells him to go get her a beer as she fires up a cig. Like, just like they don't make them like that anymore. Do they? (laughs) Holy cow. PJ, PJ soul's character was built for this movie. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, but then the deaths, I thought, were um, somewhere, you know, there was definitely cheese elements to the deaths. Obviously, the guy getting stabbed through the chest with a with that knife uh, and, and, and being suspended by it. Um, the killing of the German shepherd. A uh, uh, little rough. Yeah, they, um, um, that, that's a real shortcut to... Um, I can't remember where I heard this from, but... Uh, Somebody told me that if um, it had to be it had to be my cousin who's a lawyer probably told me this. He said that if somebody's on trial for a crime and during the commission of that crime they hurt an animal, juries are always harder on them. Like even a murder mm. trial. Like if somebody kills somebody but then they kill their dog too, like juries go at them harder because it's the point I'm trying to make is it's like I guess people maybe. <laughs> It's like people can write off killing somebody sometimes. It's like, well, that's bad, but I mean, at least a person can defend itself. It's like a dog. All right. 
It's more. I'm going to throw a, a what if out there. What if you have you're the owner of the pet, and you happen to just let it outside and don't have any concern for it and never see it again? Is that something that would get somebody convicted? Say you had a cat you didn't want. I don't know how they'd find that out. If the cat just what if there was. So, 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 so what if someone who was friends with that person was called as a witness and they tell that story, would that hurt that person in a, in a trial? I, I don't have that information. I, right. I don't, it doesn't track as much as actually just killing an animal, like shooting okay. it or like killing it with your bare hands. So ne- gross neglect is okay. Like if you, like, especially if you have a cat, like, like cats try to yeah. run away all the time. And then like one day you just might get sick of it. It's like, go be free. And yeah. then goes to be, goes to be free. That never comes back. I don't know. Yeah, like you. You were born free. <laughs> free as the wind blows. <laughs> You're a cowboy, baby. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you have a, a particular favorite scene or moment from this movie? Uh, the two that stuck out to me were... I got a good jump scare out of that window that fell and broke. That's like a, just like mm-hmm. a good old school jump scare that isn't too obnoxious. Because I think that's your problem with... I mean, maybe I'm reaching, but I know that's kind of my problem with jump scares. It's just like, it's kind of like, oh, I hit somebody on, on the, it's like somebody stubbed their toe. So they had a reaction to it. It's like, yeah, of course they did. Because it's like, that's what you're doing. It's like, it's almost like a, like a, like a, uh, just an oral injury. Like, like just, you're just, you're just trying to jab at people like to startle them. And it's yeah. not, it's like, it's, you're, I think you're right. It's not a great that's not great horror. Like, great horror is when you ratchet up the suspense. And kind of like the scene that I'm going to talk about next, where she's in the dark and she's hiding, and then, like, you just see the mask, like, gr- like come out of the darkness. And all Dude. they did that with was a dimmer switch. That's all they needed for that. We have the same favorite part in the movie. Is that the first That's time it. ever? <laughs> I, I, I have this weird feeling we had it also one other time before, but I can't, I can't place it. But... That is my favorite moment in the movie too, because I've always felt this way, you know, like, like in, 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 um, police stations or, or interrogation rooms, there's a two-sided mirror where one side can see you and the other side can't see who's on the other side of the glass. I feel that way when you're inside a house and if you, especially if it's a house with a lot of windows or like, uh, a lot of glass and you have the lights on. You can't see what's going on outside. There could be someone standing five feet from your house looking right at you, and you can't see that they're there. That That's scary. Yeah, man. The idea of not being able to see something that can see you, to me, is the epitome of frightening. Yeah, you're just... And that's it- what makes nighttime so scary to a lot of people. If you take the exact same situation someone's in, turn the sun on, like Ed Harris in Truman Show, and it all of a sudden becomes a lot less scary because you create things in your mind. You start wondering what was that noise? It's probably a squirrel, but you think it's a human. A lot of stuff gets your, your mind creates the scariness. And in that scene, you feel that because like you just said, it just looks like it's a dark room, but is he in there and he can see me, but I can't see him. And then, like you said, slowly the eyes adjust. And that's why they did the scene that way to make it seem like, when you're in a dark room and all of a sudden you can start seeing a little bit better, all of a sudden he appeared. It wasn't that there all of a sudden a light started shining on Michael Myers. It was that the audience's eyes were adjusting to the darkness. And I thought that was just like a smart idea that by John Carpenter. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I was just, I, now you got me thinking about like you're in your raised ranch 
with the lights on, and then you can't see that just... I don't have a raised ranch. I do not. Not your, don't you yours. Oh. The collective you, not you. You're in your raised ranch with your lights on and three feet outside the window, there's just some guy in a crotchless noid suit with a spear gun, and he's just watching <laughs> you move around. <laughs> Terrifying. I'm about to call my mom right now and be like, Mom, tur- tur- pop on the floodlights. For Make a sure, avoid the noise. <laughs> <laughs> my dad would be like, Janice, go outside and take a look. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool that we have the same uh, favorite moment because I think you can look at a lot of scenes from Halloween, and I think a lot of people. Uh, draw to uh, when he's hiding be- behind the hedges and when he like looks out at her as an, as an iconic moment from this movie. Yeah, the opening shot that looks like it was all done in one scene, but it wasn't, but it was still really cool. Like, just, it, yes. it kind of, it, that 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 whole fir- like killer's perspective thing. The, p- that the pe- point of view. Yeah, yeah, people think that that was, like, it was, that that was a bigger part of this movie than it really was, but it was, influ- that was another, like, just enduring influence on later horror movies, but, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I agree that I think there was a lot of things they did in this movie uh, because they had to or they just thought it was like a cool idea. Um, I don't think <clears throat> this was a very simple movie. I'm not saying it was simple to make, but the idea of it and the execution of it was very earnest and I think innocent. And that's what made it good. I think it gets a lot of credit for things that I think you sort of put it the, the, well this way that a lot of things ripped it off after the fact a thinking of it as this these genius techniques and maybe part of that's because they saw the bottom line how much money the movie made so these studios are like you make this but make it a hockey mask and make it you know the kid was drowned or something like that uh which makes me realize now that rob zombie basically made a friday the 13th movie instead of making a halloween movie but we'll (laughs) talk about that another time i mean it was kind of Um, it was kind of fascinating how this movie influenced other movies that came after it but then i read somewhere too that in halloween 2 they actually when john carpenter wasn't involved because friday the 13th was more bloody they're like oh we have to be bloody now too so it kind of turned yeah. into like this this like almost arms race yeah and it's like gruesome murder league. right because i i'm trying to think of all the ways michael killed people in this movie and a lot of them are pretty to the point in how he wanted to do it Whereas in the second one, like he boiled somebody alive in one of those hot tub things, he blew someone up with gas. Like it started getting yeah, over maniacal. We're, yeah, we're getting into novelty kill territory. Like, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll get it. Or, or like in the one Friday the Thirteenth movie, I think it was six. Where <laughs> fuck, Jason puts a girl in a sleeping bag and just like hits it against a tree until she dies. It's like. Come on, man. I mean, actually, that's a, that's actually more functional than the stuff you're talking about. But it's still <laughs> unnecessarily showy. It's absurd. And that, yeah, by that point, they also had just these gigantic dudes playing Jason now. Whereas in like the first Friday the 13th, uh, it was he wasn't even in it. It was his mom or whatever. And then the second one, he, he takes over. Um, a lot of a lot of a lot of things ripped off Halloween, but didn't do it as well. Um, and, you know, no apologies or maybe apologies to fans of like Friday the 13th and stuff, but it's just, it's just how it is. Like Halloween's the standard and everything came in there after it um, for, for good and for bad. 
but <clears throat> I think this movie is just one of those staples. It's like how people watch, you know, Christmas Vacation or Home Alone or, you know, even the old school ones like It's a Wonderful Life around the holidays. They, they people watch like to watch Halloween around Halloween time. And it doesn't have to be more complex than that. And uh, it's a really cool movie to, to think about when you compare it to uh, this day and age where studios are trying to capture the spirit of these movies, but they never will because they aren't being made by independent filmmakers. Yeah, you'll get maybe some unknowns attached to direct and maybe write some of this stuff, but you always have these studios uh, over your head telling you what they want to see based on algorithms and what they think will sell. Whereas this movie was just a bunch of kids uh, who wanted to have a good time making a movie and it wound up being something that captured a lot of people and went on to inspire endless amounts of uh, other slasher movies and continue to this day, uh, as I'm sure we're not more than a few years away from hearing about the next iteration of Halloween. You know? <laughs> yeah, I think I read somewhere that some <clears throat> studio just repurchased the rights for this. Are you fucking kidding me? I, I, I think I think so. I think it was A24, but then they got outbid by somebody. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I, I don't know, man. I it's it, it there there really is no end in sight. It's but go ahead. Well, and, and it's funny because like this movie is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I think people like to cherish it because of how earnest it was when it was made and how Carpenter even like laughs at himself about some mistakes he made. Like you can see in some of the shots where like they're walking across the street, you can see the palm trees in the distance that it's clearly LA where they filmed, even though it's supposed to take place in Illinois. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah, the beginning of the movie, we fucking forgot about it. Oh, well. <laughs> and then at the end, the, the, in the credits, I think it says Michael Myers is like 23. But with the math checks out, he's supposed to be like 21 because he was six in 1963. And he's just like, whatever. It's just one of those things. That like, if, if you're a good fan of our movie, you're going to pick up on that. If you're not, you're not even going to fucking notice. I wasn't even that keyed into the lore. I just thought he was eight when he killed his sister instead of six because I don't even think they really mentioned it. Oh, yeah. And, and again, it, not important. It's just like they show us what the deal is. And um, the one thing I, I, I don't know about why they did this, and I don't know if you caught this in your reading, but I was watching it with my wife and she had seen the movie before um, and she was going in and out, like checking her phone and stuff. She wasn't really paying attention. But that first scene where he takes off the mask or they take it off him and he, he's in his little clown suit holding a knife and it's seemingly... What they're asked, they ask him two questions, one each, and then both actors sort of freeze. Is that just sort of like some weird dramatic thing of like ending a scene in a play? Did you notice that too? How the actors just sort of stood there and held their pose? Yeah, I just thought it was, I thought the whole scene was goofy because it's like if this kid's had a real homicidal mania, like why not just smoke his parents right there on the sidewalk? But you know, there's the practical concerns and all that stuff, but. <laughs> I, I think I think you're right. I think it is just one of those kind of cinematic conceits where it was like that's how the scene ended. Like they didn't really know what else to do with it. Yeah, it was like this like lifting crane shot where they zoom back out and just like the two people just didn't move. It's like you would think like, all right, let's get the knife out of his hand. You know, let's put him in an ambulance. Like it's just it's very very strange. But again, they just wanted to tell us how to start this story, and that's what they did. And I like the fact that. 
you know, we didn't get too deeply narrative about this movie because it wasn't made that way. And anything else would be over over analyzing something for the sake of trying to sound smart or to hear yourself talk. So yeah, the movie runs a tight ninety minutes, and then when I was watching it, like I was glad I got to revisit it and uh, you know pay it the proper respect and attention it deserves. <laughs> but one thing I was kind of that did kind of surprise me was how long it kind of takes to get moving. Like, yeah, you have the scene at the, you have the scene at the beginning and then you have the scene at the asylum. But the, the, the thing that people think of as Halloween, Michael Myers stalking people in the mat. I mean, that's only the last 35 minutes of the movie or something. True. Like he's, he's yeah. kind of stalking them, but it is got a little goofy to see him driving a car and all that stuff. But so they're build they're building up the tension that way, but him like going into the house and actually attacking people like that doesn't happen to the last third of the movie, right? Yeah, um, yeah. He, I'm trying to think of like what the bulk is really spent on, but I think it's more or less of like him. I think setting. I think the idea of setting the tone of that he can be anywhere at any time, sort of thing, because there are plenty of scenes that you just see the station wagon drive by in the distance. It doesn't zoom in on it. They don't put it into focus, but it happens and it's on purpose so that these people are living their normal lives. Their guards are down. They're talking about what they're going to do that night. They're laughing. And this whole time he's there just like watching them and like seeing where they go and what houses they go in. But it's not like, Hey audience, you're stupid. You're stupid. We're going to zoom in on this car to make sure you know that that's him. Carpenter was like, I'm going to assume my audience notices it. And if they don't, it's okay. But if they do notice it, they're going to be like, oh, shit. All right. And I'm not saying I watched this movie for the first time when I was 15 or whatever. And was like, oh, fucking station wagon. Oh, shit. But now having watched it a bunch of times, you read about it and you're like, oh, shit. And then you look for it. So now for people who listen to our podcast who watch the movie after listening uh, look for the station wagon. Look for Michael in the background every once in a while because he does uh, do some laps, and it just adds to the suspense of like you never know. <laughs> like it's just that's what scares me more than anything. Like you could have the scariest movie, like Exorcist. My wife, like she, she cannot watch stuff about possession and that stuff. It scares the shit out of her. She can't watch it. She's terrified of it. What scares me is the stuff that can really happen. And some dude grabbing a knife and deciding he's going to go kill a bunch of babysitters can fucking happen. That's the stuff that scares the shit out of me. So that as, as hokey as this movie is the idea of it and like the bare bones of it is scary to me because there's no real motive for him to kill girl a or girl B. He just goes back to that town because he fucking lived there 15 years ago. And he's like, I'm just going to start fucking killing these kids on this night. They're not expecting it. We as the audience are. So we're like, you're so stupid. How could you go outside? It's like, they're just going outside on Halloween, man. So, and I always give credit, more credit to the first person who gets killed in these slasher movies because they really didn't know. The second or third people, it's like, maybe fucking drive out of state for a week and see how things shake out. She was just trying to do some laundry. That's that's all that happened there. Yeah, she certainly was. <laughs> She got hung out to dry, Mike. <laughs> Come on now. All right. Uh, I, that's all I got. So I don't know if you have anything else to add on Halloween. I, I didn't think you know we needed to like touch on every little thing that I would imagine is in 
uh, all the discourse about this movie because people have been beaten over the head with it. So no, I, know I, was- I, I like some of the stuff you brought up about not just its legacy, but how I, I just didn't realize how this movie kind of grounded the horror franchise. I mean, it probably wasn't the first movie to do that, but it might have been like the first movie as popular as it was. Like you said, to kind of take the, you know, the big bad and like kind of make it a little more in your town as opposed to, you know, Transylvania or I, I didn't really think about it that way. I thought it was really interesting, but I'm glad we did uh, do this movie. It's very festive and it's, uh, you know, it's one of those movies you really shouldn't have as that's one of the goofiest things about my cinematic knowledge is there's there's these huge movies I hadn't I, I don't I'm not really all that familiar with. This is definitely one of them. This was a great time to do it. Did you have did you at least have some fun watching it? Yeah, yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed yeah. it. Like I said, I just I, I just I, I wanted to make that point that it it just suffered from time and imitation and dilution. It's it, it's not it doesn't make it a bad movie. Like it's not Cloud Atlas or anything, but it um... <laughs> What other movie did we do recently where that you punished it for that similar reason? Um I don't know. Could have been it was anything. It was, yeah, it was something that had been parodied a lot and, and referenced a lot to the point where it made you dislike the movie itself a bit more. Fuck, I'll think of it. I'll go through our library and take a look and try to pinpoint it. Anyway. Um, all right, man. Cool. Uh, we hope everyone enjoyed this chat about Halloween, but now we got to find out what Mike is going to bring to the table in two weeks when we're actually closer to Halloween itself. Yeah, so I kind of want to keep this uh, kind of macabre, spooky energy going, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to do another Halloween movie. But um, I did want to kind of open the door to a different kind of horror, and it's a movie that we've mentioned several times. It's near and dear to my heart, and I kind of want to open the door to do some to op- for another franchise. So I wanted to do it properly, and I want to start with Manhunter. Oh, very good pick. I, you know what? I thought you were gonna say uh, Alien. Oh, yeah, that would have been a good one, too. But no, for some reason, I just had Manhunter. I, I, I really want to do a Silence of the Lambs one sooner than later. Um, and I just, I didn't want to do that movie before this. So I'd like to do Manhunter that, like, we'll have, uh, you know, that'll give us the flexibility to do, at least in my stupid brain, to do Silence of the Lambs sooner than later. I mean, Manhunter is so good, man. I, I'm glad that you picked that because... I really do like that movie and I was late to the party on that. I I was like pulled into Silence of the Lambs and I was all I, like when I was younger I was like oh only Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter sort of thing. And then I got wise and learned <laughs> and I obviously became a big huge fan of Brian Cox over the years as the more he does roles that I enjoy. Uh so I'm really excited to to revisit that movie cuz I like Red Dragon and we'll talk about it, but Manhunter is really good, flies under the radar. And I like the idea that if we could even put it into the eyeballs of a handful of people, uh, that gets me kind of pumped because it is a very underrated film. So good pick. Thank you. Um, All right, Mike, anything else for uh, our lovely listeners before we... Yeah, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday in a couple of days. But other than that, take us home. Oh, Christ. We got to stop counting those anyway, don't we? (laughs) Don't worry. Time will do that for us soon enough. (laughs) Oh, you sick fuck. (laughs) There it is. All right, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, buddy. Um, All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the show. We appreciate it very much. Spread the word if you know someone who likes 
banter about movies, especially the movies of yesteryear that our generation grew up with, uh, let them know and keep listening. So we appreciate it so, so much. Uh, but until next time, from me and Mike here at Just Like the Movies, make sure you all be kind, rewind, relax, and we'll see you around. The evil is God.